Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast, a part of Cowan's fifth annual Future Health Conference held virtually this year on June 24th and 25th, 2020. Over the past five years, the Cowan Future Health Conference has brought together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare technology and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. My name is Charles Ree, and I'm Cowan's Healthcare Services Analyst. And in this episode, we talk about data. The explosion of data in the digital age has changed uh, just about how we do everything. And the same is true in healthcare. The biopharma industry, which has always valued and sought out new forms of data, has increasingly started looking outside the controlled environment of clinical trials to find data from the real world. One newer form of real world evidence is everyday behavior data. And to help us explore this topic, I'm joined by Deborah Kilpatrick, CEO of Evidation Health, a new kind of health and measurement company that focuses on capturing and measuring everyday behavior data, which is proving to be an exceptionally powerful lens on health. Welcome, Deb. Good morning from California, Charles. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, thanks for being here. You know, why don't we start out with a little of your background and, uh, you know, how you found yourself, uh, found yourself at Evidation? Sure. My background is, I like to say, I'm a researcher and a true technology uh, nerd at heart. I did my PhD in mechanical engineering with a focus in bioengineering and ended up in California after that uh, and was really very, very focused initially in my career in the med tech sector. Uh, did a lot of work in the implantable space, drug delivery devices. Uh, I worked at Guided Corporation for about a decade and ended up helping to run the internal incubator for the vascular business at the time we were acquired by Boston Scientific and Abbott. And at that time, you know, I was very, very interested in information that was in, you know, sort of coming on new to the scene in healthcare, which at the time was genomics. So I did a stint in a Kleiner Perkins genomics company for a while and um, really tried to understand hard the business model of how new information can fundamentally change diagnosis and therapy and ultimately patient management. Um, Come 2014, I was really sort of thinking about what would be next, and I met uh, the co-founder and president of Evidation, Christine Lemke, whose background is about as orthogonal for mine as, as you could get. She came from the tech sector, from you know big data before big data was cool. She started her career at Microsoft Xbox, and we really had a common vision for measurement of health that would rely on direct connections to people, uh, permission to data, and using sort of, quote, unquote, everyday data data streams really to measure health and disease very differently and 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 here we are um six years later still still doing it together so we're super excited that's exciting and 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 you just touched on it a little bit right there tell us more about evidation itself and you know you know what does evidation do here so charles i like to say that evidation measures health in everyday life and when we do that it's in direct contrast to how we've always measured health which is sort of you know stuck in the brick and mortar walls of of the clinic setting um we also are doing that by enabling everyone to participating uh, to participate in groundbreaking research and programs that involve or use 
yield that measurement. Um, we do this by directly connecting to them in their daily lives in this trusted sort of privacy and permission safe way, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and we, we partner with the world's leading healthcare companies uh, in this relationship to understanding health and disease to help them better understand and measure in a really quantifiable way who's benefiting from the products that they're putting on the market and how are they benefiting? When are they benefiting? What populations are benefiting more than others? Um, we've learned along the way that research participation is actually a major activator for people on their own health journey. And so longer term, we believe that this fundamental phase of business of understanding how to better measure health through you know sort of very decentralized broad research that that actually is a process that can bring people into individualized proactive and accessible health to their own lives faster and at any scale um, the key for us is that we have to have an underlying evidence generation engine that is involving everybody everywhere anytime and that's that's what evidation is all about you, you talked about have, uh, patients um, and direct connections with patients and being trusted, uh, you know, and the fact that and patients are uh, active participants in this. Can you, can you talk about the importance of that distinction? Yeah, so, you know, we, we took an early stance on uh, privacy in terms of consent and reconsent for data use. Of permission to data streams. That's a lot of that's a lot of p words in there. Um, privacy safe being being fundamental. A lot of lot of discussion about that. But I think what people are not talking enough about is the permissioning of data, not just for collection, but for use and reuse over time. Um, that's something that I like to think of evidation in terms of our approach as having been one of the pioneers of, honestly, in terms of the, how to actually make it real. Um, this is incredibly important in an era where data can be streaming and is streaming all the time. It means that there are an infinite number of data slices that can be pulled from different points in time over different points in time in different periods of time for use, for reuse, for analysis, for reanalysis, essentially on an ongoing basis. Um, and for people that are participating in the evidation ecosystem, you know, I, I want them to know that that permission um, is not just going to be a one-time thing. We're going to be asking them to re-permission data streams for use and reuse and, and um, analysis and reuse of different studies, perhaps ongoing. Uh, it gives them a chance to have, you know, sort of greater than just one-time participation, but it also gives them the trust that, you know what, we're going to ask them. We're going to ask you what you want done with your data. And if any one point in time you don't want to participate or you want to drop out or withdraw consent from that particular program or study, it's simple to do. And it's our job to make sure that it's simple for them to do on demand in the context of their participation. It's up to them. That, that's interesting you talk about. So it's almost like a, a different type of re-engagement or constant engagement with your with your members, right? And, and you kind of mentioned earlier uh, about research participation being a big activator in their engagement with their own health. And if, if their data, you know, if it was just one time, they might have just forgotten about it, right? But the fact that uh, you keep coming back to them because somebody else wants to look at it in a different way keeps them continuously engaged with their health. 
that, that's a, you know, that's a really fascinating concept. I haven't quite thought about a metric of engagement on the basis of that, Charles, but um, I got, yes, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the discussion in the ecosystem, you know, is, is rightfully so about privacy and consent, but I still believe that most of those, most of that discussion is just focusing on the collection of data. And, and this idea that you and I are discussing right now, this idea that there can be a difference between the point in time of collection and the point in time of use for analysis, um, especially in a world where the data streams never end, like it's fundamental. And, you know, we, we're pretty, we're pretty vocal about this. We've taken a really strong stance on this. Um, we've spoken at the Department of Health and Human Services about this. Um, and and it, it's, it's, it's something that not just, you know, can be done or, or it's something that should be done. Like this is the architecture systems this way. This is doable. And I think that for individuals uh, participating in, in their health as part of a bigger population participating in health, like we, we should demand this. It's okay to demand it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, let's talk about how, where, where are you getting data from, right? Uh, you, you talk about uh, getting members and they're directly involved. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about how you actually get the data, like where, where is it coming from? Sure. So I, I like to, to first start by saying, you know, there's the foundation of the people that we're connected to. Right now we're connected to um, close to 4 million Americans from all 50 states and about 9 out of 10 zip codes. So we are everywhere. We're connected to people that are everywhere. Um, at any one point in time, those people are sort of turning on data streams through our uh, product called uh, Achievement. And the Achievement platform, uh, we, we like to say, is sort of the, 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 the portal by which you can have the world's largest virtual site for research. And you can go to the iOS or Android App Store. You can see Achievement as powered by Evidation. You can directly connect to us through Achievement. And you will see how you can turn on or turn off or leave off individual data streams. Um, those data streams are from different types of wearables, whether it's your smartwatch or your phone or different mobile apps on your watch or phone, or it can also be from connected devices like in your home, whether it's like a Bluetooth scale or even uh, clinical grade APIs and devices like continuous uh, glucose meters um, and monitors. So, you know, there are many different types of flowing data, but for us, the common denominator is it's permissioned and turned on or off by the person themselves through achievement uh, in the products that are associated that that's great you know it, it sounds so kind of intuitive when you say it like that you know it, it's it's interesting right activity trackers you know they, they've been around for a while uh, bluetooth scales etc you know we've had things like personal health records for years you know uh, i guess two questions you know why hasn't really why, why do you think pharma never never really thought about this before and then maybe secondly you know, and when did it come, become apparent to you that this data was clinically relevant? So I, I think if we if we sort of broaden it to say like when did the when did the the industry sector of healthcare sort of start thinking about the idea that data would be flowing all the time? I like to say it's the first time that somebody had a remote monitor uh, bedside um, controller for their pacemaker. And by the way, that was that was in 2005. 
right? So that was 15 years ago, and that was in the med tech sector. Pharma is different, right? Pharma, pharma needed the, um, the consumer world to come into its own for the purposes of allowing people to have information or data flow in their consumer life that they could make relevant to the measurement of health for pharma. Because pharma's devices, you know, pharma doesn't make devices that are in you, pharma makes pills, right? Or pharma makes bio, biotech injectables. So I think there's a fundamental difference between the way the med tech sector has thought about it and the way the pharma sector has thought about it. I like to say that these data streams, they've always been clinically relevant, but it took industry of another type to make them clinically useful. Um, and that's, that's why we created this company. Um, why is it hard? Look, it's, it's these are really complex, continuously flowing, large-scale data streams. They're messy. They're pan frequency. They're in, you know, quote unquote, free living conditions. <laughs> uh, everybody makes them differently. Like they're not coming from one company, right? That it's it's hard. That's why it's hard. Um, I think that it's not that pharma hadn't known, in my experience, that this type of new type of information would be relevant. It's that unless you're an expert in how to deal with the underlying technology part of this or the underlying data science part of this, like that's not your business, right? And so I'm not going to be able to make biotech injectables or, you know, <laughs> um, uh, or pills. Um, it's not my business. And, and I, I certainly would defer all expertise of that part of what Evidation does to our partners. Um, and I hope that um, likewise, our partners are, are trusting us uh, for the parts that they are not experts in, which is the management, the ingestion, in management uh, and making sense of this very complex uh, sort of real world everyday flowing data uh, that we're that we're now finding has so much utility. Yeah, and then th th that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I guess one question that uh, I would ask here is, you know, what what is sort of differentiated about the way the achievement platform works versus if we think about, you know, everyone uses the words big data and and clearly, if you look at some very large companies out there in the in the traditional tech world, you would you would kind of intuitive naturally think that they that's something they could do as well. What what is it about achievement that, that kind of really differentiates it and makes it really purpose built here for for healthcare? So I think that so the data the data platform that sort of is the central core of uh, for the technology engine, you know, what what all of the achievers and their data streams and um, their permissioned and consented data as part of trials is what where it's all going. It's going into this data platform core innovation, right? That data platform is custom built and custom developed to link these very, very messy sort of um, data streams we've been discussing to relevant measures of health even traditional health outcomes. And so much like when the human genome was, was unleashed upon the world, you know, there were many, many sort of what we would now think of as, as data platform companies, but they weren't called that back then, that needed to really link these biological pathways, uh, uh, who were, which were linked to the fundamental genome, elements of the genome, with relevant pathways of disease and how disease actually happened. And so there was a whole area of computation and data science that, that sort of was born on the basis of that. This is, this is no different in many ways, right? There's a whole new world of linking these types of data streams to relevant measures of health, to relevant measures of disease status. Um, and in many ways, it's, it's very analogous to what happened during, you know, post-human genome. And so I think we're very much in the phase now where the computational platforms are built, um, the data is being ingested, and lo and behold, we're beginning to see a lot of things that link together and a lot of the, uh, what we think 
of as computed feature libraries that underline or underlie the actual algorithms or products that result or insights that result like those things are being built and they're being built at a remarkable pace because the sampling frequency here is so fast it's instantaneous it's the second that someone turns on in permissions data streams we're now sampling um, that's never been possible before in healthcare the sample always required you to go to a doctor or go get your, you know, go get a, go to a blood test taken, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're just in a very different world where a lot of the underlying computational concepts are very similar, but the but the material and the sampling frequency of that material that that will drive the signal um, are just are just you know, orders of magnitude faster to acquire and make sense of. Yeah, and, and to your point, right? And and now at a point where it can be useful to pharma versus knowing that it was, but not knowing how to get to it. Correct. Yeah, uh, and I and I do want to talk about uh, your your partnerships. You have some great ones out there. Um, but you know, maybe before we jump into it, maybe uh, you know, touch briefly. Uh, tell tell us how the business model then works here for Evidation when you work with uh, your pharma partners. So the business model for uh, for Evidation is very much a, a B2B software and technology enabled service model. Um, you know, we really focus on the world's most innovative global healthcare companies uh, in the pharma and med tech sectors. And, and we also focus uh, on the tech sector where partners uh, in, in that sector are really focused on putting their platforms uh, into a healthcare context and understanding um, how they're affecting and, and, and measurably uh, affecting health and disease. Um, those those uh, sectors for us are our are, are, are maniacal focus. Um, we've worked really hard to uh, attain triple digit year over year growth across many commercial metrics over the last few years while focusing largely on the pharma and tech sectors. We work with nearly all of the top 10 global pharma companies today, and our goal is to be working with the significant majority of the top 50 by the end of 2022. Um, you'll also see us making announcements uh, about international activity and growth uh, later this year. Um, so we feel like, you know, Evidation's at the, um, Evidation's having a moment, digital health is having a moment, um, healthcare in general, I hope is having a moment where we're where we're seeing things that have been talked about for a long time actually come into real clinical practice, uh, and in our case, real evidence generation practice at a scale that we, we really could hardly imagine before. It's a really exciting, really exciting time right now. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty amazing. And, and you know, touching on, you know, working with uh, many of the, the, the top global pharma companies in the world, uh, you know, I, I can easily name off a, a bunch, you know, a couple that come to mind, uh, Sanofi, uh, J&J, uh, Eli Lilly, uh, you know, th these are great partners of yours, uh, you know, maybe, you know, how, how do you see them or like, you know, w when they come to you with a question, like, you know, what are some of the questions they're trying to answer uh, in, in their work process? Yeah, and and I'll first say, you know, we're we're really thrilled to be working with the with the likes of these companies. You know, it's um, I've been in healthcare for for my entire career, and so it's uh, it's really gratifying to be able to to partner with these global, globally touching, uh, globally impactful companies um, as a as Evidation as a two hundred person company. You know, I, I like to 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 say that they're I I believe they're trying to better understand the lived experience of human disease in real life, and how their products can help individuals. Individuals, period. 
Um, pragmatically, they're trying to understand who benefits from those products and how much they benefit. Um, if I look back across programs and use cases over the last two to three years, um, we see really high concentration in therapeutic areas like central nervous system, neurodegenerative conditions, chronic respiratory diseases, and cardiometabolic diseases. Um, there's a long tail on the therapeutic areas of evidations work, but those are examples where we see like a lot, a lot of focus. Um, coming, into, uh, coming into its own uh, on the horizon, we're doing a lot more work in oncology. We see a lot more work in oncology coming on the horizon, especially in the area of survivorship, you know, quantifying the lived experience and being cancer survivors, which now um, is something that, that we couldn't have even dreamt about 20 years ago, you know, having large populations of people living decades after, after their, their, their oncology event. Um, and I like to think of it like these are all situations where objective quantitative measurement of status is poor, period. Or these are conditions where patients don't usually experience the condition within clinic walls, so much as this is just a part of their daily lives, it should be measured there. Um, those are where we, we really, really, uh, really thrive. And the trick is then, you know, back to the earlier point of why it's so hard, <laughs> you know, now you're in free living conditions where things are not controlled and you're dealing with very large scale data streams in, in often very large pop heterogeneous populations. So, you know, the power of scale is your friend <laughs> uh, because you can tolerate more, um, you can tolerate more noise and more messiness in those situations. But, you know, I, I I am excited about the breadth of the therapeutic areas that we're working in because what that signals to me is that what we're doing at Evidation and what companies out there in this space are doing um, are, is, are, are horizontally applicable. We're not talking about just isolated applicability for one disease or another. We're talking about um, a really horizontal applicability to how healthcare is measured across the board. And you know, that's, that's really exciting to me uh, and to the people on my team. And, and yeah, and I can imagine that's it's it's an easy way to understand how 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 you've experienced the growth that you have so far. And and, and when you think about trying to get into, let's say, you know, be a part of the the top fifty biopharma companies in the world, you know, when I look at the list of your partners today, you know, a lot of them, you know, are, are easy to understand. They're very uh, they're generally known as some of the more progressive uh, pharma companies out there you know, at the cutting edge of things, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there's a perception, particularly maybe in pharma, some of them are a little bit more conservative. Are, are you finding those walls falling pretty quickly at this point? Well, I think, you know, I, having been on the side of um, very heavily, heavily regulated uh, med tech sector, you know, part of the industry, I, I understand why companies are conservative. Like, I, I lived that. I, I, I really do. I mean, part of the conservatism and conservative stance, I, I think, is coming also from, they take their cues from regulatory receptivity, right? And, and so I think it's helpful to look at what the FDA has been signaling or saying in this area to, as a surrogate measure for how fast, you know, the top 50 will come around and not just the top 10. And, you know, as, as I look at it, I, I think the FDA has been quite vocal about, let's, let's say first, real world evidence and its role in regulatory decision making moving forward. And, you know, it's not new that, that stakeholders in DC at the FDA and beyond 
for years have been amplifying their call to action for more patient-centered trials in general. And so I, I think that our approach, you know, where, you know, patient-generated, person-generated health data from the everyday lives of people really sits at the intersection of those two, of those two uh, tailwinds and, and, and sort of those two meta-trends. I, I think that this is inevitably going to be uh, an important component of the evidence generation um, scenario for real-world evidence. And ultimately, regulatory decision-making, um, you know, first in the post-market setting around lab label expansion, but I think it's going to have a role uh, certainly in clinical development. Um, if you look at the crowdsource library of digital endpoints that's sort of curated by the Digital Medicine Society, and you can find their website uh, pretty easily through a Google search, you know, you'll notice that, you know, there's not hundreds in that, in that crowdsource library of digital endpoints that are being used in, in sort of regulatory-grade studies or regulatory submissible studies, but it soon will be. And the phase of clinical development or research they're being used in is all over the board. Some of them are, you know, phase 2A, some of them are phase 3, some of them are phase 4. Um, and, and I think that the regulatory purposes that they're reportedly being used for are, are also quite broad. And so I, I look at all of these things as signals in the ecosystem of the importance of this new data source and making sense of this new data source uh, in the measurement of health. Um, and it's just a matter of time before, again, it's not just horizontal across therapeutic areas, it's horizontal across all sectors of the, of the pharma channel. That's helpful. And, 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 I, and I get what your point is, you know, uh, obviously pharma has to be careful in, in taking their cues from the FDA. And, and, and you, you make a good point that the FD, the agency has been very vocal and in support of digital health in general. I would imagine, I think, was it someone from the from CDRH earlier this week that kind of made a vocal support for digital therapeutics? And I imagine in general, these kind of cues are, are positive signals for pharma uh, to, push, uh, to push further and faster and maybe get some more of them on board. Oh, you, you bet they are. And, you know, let's, let's, not, let's not forget that, you know, before Evidation does any work with any of these large uh, companies, these very heavily regulated companies, you know, they're coming in and they're extensively looking under the hood at, at everything at Evidation, whether it's audits for regulatory and quality system compliance, audits for cybersecurity and privacy safe handling of data, or whether it's audits for uh, good clinical practice and the way that we conduct our, our research. Search, you know, you can bet that they're that they're ensuring compliance and appropriate, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of appropriate measurements of those types of concerns for their own needs um, beyond just needing to vet us. And so I, I I welcome that. You know, it's something that we've been prepared for from day one at Evidation. Um, we're routinely going through audits because uh, new audits for us mean new customers. And so we're always we're probably one of the few companies in the world that gets excited about audits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you might be, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of putting a lot of this together, you know, particularly as we talk about uh, patients being engaged in their own health, being at the center of, uh, of a new way for pharma to, to push forward. I, I think the, a great example of maybe seeing the synthesis is, you know, the Apple Watch uh, heart study that was about, I guess now about a year and change ago. And, you know, all the signs there was, was interesting. I remember hosting another panel where, you know, one of the, uh, uh, and this guy was a, he's a, a researcher and they, and they enroll, he runs clinical trials down at Duke. And he kind of said, you know, it would take us, you know, months to even get a, you know, a few hundred patients and, you know, here, you know, Apple gets like what, a hundred and something thousand people in a, in a yeah. matter of a short period of time. Uh, you know, maybe you know, is that, is that that poster child for what the, the future could be? 
I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I'm biased because, you know, I'm part of the, I'm part, I'm making the Kool-Aid, not just asking people to drink it. But I, I, I believe that, um, that, that we are looking at snapshots of the future. You know, uh, when we look at the Heartline trial, uh, when we look at, you know, the, the Apple Heart study that's been done and the other, the other efforts that Apple has going on, I, I, I feel very strongly that like, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is not just a flash in the pan. This is a, a glimpse into how things are going to be done on a regular basis. I mean, just uh, during the, the flu season, you know, where Evidation has been very active in uh, government grants uh, in flu and now in COVID, but we're also very active in the antiviral space, working with our pharma and biotech partners during the flu season in measurement of uh, prediction and measurement of different infectious disease patterns and responses to vaccine interventions and responses to therapy in those populations. You know, when you stand back from that, um, you, you quickly realize that, you know, these are not 500 person trials, <laughs> right? They, they are tens of thousands into the hundreds of thousands, and they need to be able to be done anywhere, anytime, quickly. And in fact, our, our recent announcements uh, about our work in COVID, you can sort of see that it's being, it's, it's representative of the ability to sort of go anywhere, anytime and study so these very, very broad population problems. And so when I say that, you know, looking at things like the hardline trial or the, or the other studies that have been done at that scale, I, I, I don't see a day where we're going to go back to accepting, um, you know, subsets of 1,000 people when you can go out and get 100,000 to get a better answer, right? Um, and so I, I, I think that we're now at the phase where we have to start looking beyond just the population scale and answering the call to making sure that those uh, populations also are, are appropriately representative of the population, in this case, the United States, uh, such that we're matching socioeconomic uh, you know, uh, differentiation, we're matching racial and ethnicity differentiation. We're not just looking at population scale, which was kind of the fundamental problem in the first order. We've ta we're tackling that. Now we've got to go one step further. And so I think that's the next thing that you'll start to see is you'll, you'll really start to see technology enabling um, better representation in these very large scale uh, studies, which you know, could also not have been contemplated probably even five years ago without imagining how we were going to solve the, the 10,000 person problem or 100,000 yeah, person problem. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you, you mentioned COVID, and I do want to get to that uh, in a second here, but uh, just getting back to when we talk about these population scale studies, uh, but you know, what do you think was, why do you think it was so successful, this Apple, you know, this Apple Watch study in getting people to sign up? Um, versus the traditional clinical trial enrollment process. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but um, I, I, when you show up to individuals in their daily lives and bring them something to do versus asking them to come into an ecosystem that does not feel much like their daily lives at all, you'd be amazed at what can get done. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when we're showing up to people. Um, in a mode of interaction and interactability that they're used to having in their daily lives, which is with their phones and their watches and, and the other things in their, in their IoT world as, as a consumer, as a person living their life and saying, you know what, we're just going to now integrate one additional layer of context and activity around research into that fabric. That's very, very different than, than the inverse of that. 
And I'm not at all faulting, you know, brick and mortar uh, clinical trials. My Lord, I spent the, the more than half of my career in healthcare involved in them. Um, but I think that we now are at a time where we have to look at which portion of clinical research really has to be sort of stuck in brick and mortar for good reason um, and needs to be handled there versus what parts of the, of the, research, um, of the research journey can be actually done uh, virtually in a decentralized way in a way that's very centered around the person and the devices and the technologies and the applications that they're used to using in their lives. Um, that's the way we get inclusivity. That's the way we get differentiation of populations for participating in research. And because, back to my earlier point, we believe so strongly at Evidation that research is an activator for people on their health journey. It's essential that we think about it that way, uh, you know, where we're, we've got to bring an ecosystem to everybody, not ask everybody to come into one that's just kind of disparately populated across the country. Yeah, no, I, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, obviously, you know, maybe more important than ever, right, uh, given the world we live in with COVID, and you had mentioned it just earlier, uh, you, you talked about the work you did in flu, but clearly over the last few months, we've all been dealing with um, this pandemic. Um, you have, you, you've made some interesting announcements over the last, uh, you know, month, uh, month and a half, um, uh, working with a, a couple different groups here, you know, maybe talk about some of the work you're doing here with COVID and, and how uh, Evidation is sort of uniquely positioned to kind of help, uh, help in this. Sure. So I, I think, Charles, you're probably referring to an announcement that we made in May with uh, about a collaboration with the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene um, in conjunction also with Mount Sinai's uh, School of Medicine in, in New York. And so, look, part of the COVID fight is a battle against mental health and the mental health impacts of the entire situation from suffering uh, in quarantine with symptoms to uh, just being in quarantine or being in a sheltering in place situation and isolated from your regular, your regular life and your regular interaction with the rest of humanity. Um, and so the New York City Department of, of, of Health and Mental Hygiene and Evidation um, sought to launch a nationwide study that seeks to understand and uncover COVID-19 symptoms and the mental health impact of the pandemic like looked at very holistically. Um, and so Mount Sinai School of Medicine uh, was also involved in the design of this, so that we're making sure we're considering uh, the caregiver, uh, the caregiver aspect of this um, and the, the healthcare system aspect of this. And so we call it our COVID-19 experience study, you know, capital E, capital S. Um, and it's going to collect self-reported symptoms and healthcare interactions, as well as movement data, sleep data, heart rate data from permissioned uh, uh, data streams from health trackers and smartphones. Um, it's going to involve tens of thousands of individuals across the entire country. And, you know, I, I like to come back down to like, what, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to help? Look, we're trying to help, in this case, the city of New York in particular, um, with better measurement and understanding of the anxiety, the grief, and the strain that this pandemic is causing and continues to cause, so they can provide the right support for, for people throughout the five boroughs. Um, if we can help them do that, then I'm very confident that we, that we have a role to play in helping, uh, helping do this across the U.S. with the same kind of information. So we're really proud to, to partner with the city of New York and uh, Mount Sinai on this. Any uh, uh, idea like when, when we might be able to, to see some, some, uh, some of the, the data coming out of this? Like uh, how, how long is the study going on for and you know, what's the time period? 
Well, this is going to go on for, for some time uh, because we need to be able to capture the full, you know, people talk about the wave and the curve, like, so we're, we're capturing data throughout the wave and the curve, uh, even if they're, in, especially in including if there is more than one. Um, uh, one of the things you can do is if you go to evidation.com, you'll see what's called the COVID-19 uh, Pulse and COVID-19 Pulse is a series of insights and data releases from our own studies of the pandemic uh, and our own observational sort of registry data capture over time in different populations across the U.S. For those particular types of insights, you can get those on a fairly regular basis. And if you go to our website or even our Twitter stream, you can see where we've released those over time, where we're reporting on sort of nationwide and geographic specific changes in, for example, activity levels. Well, that's actually quite important because we know that activity levels signal both uh, um, our surrogates of, of, of relative states of health, both mentally and physically, but they also are semblances of um, reflections of, of disease when you are having symptoms and when you are sick. So something as fundamental as being able to track and measure activity levels continuously as part of the pandemic is actually quite important. And so then there are many other data streams that we're capturing as part of that. But that's an example where we're releasing our own data and our own findings uh, and you know sort of opening up in a really open source way what we're doing to the rest of the research research ecosystem and asking for partners to come to us uh, and work with us on this if they'd like to that, that's interesting and, uh, and I'll definitely go and people should go definitely take a look there um, I, I think a couple weeks back you also made an announcement uh, trying to develop an early warning algorithm algorithm to detect symptoms of COVID uh, and sort of understand susceptibility to infection. Uh, maybe maybe talk about it. You're, I think you're working with with HHS here, and uh, maybe give a little more right. details. Right. So earlier in June, we announced uh, a new effort to develop an early warning algorithm to detect symptoms of COVID-19 and understand overall susceptibility uh, in the population to infection. Um, this is being funded uh, in collaboration with uh, BARDA as part of the um, uh, Department of Health and Human Services and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which we're also really excited to work with on a number of other things and are, are really excited that, that they're helping us with this. Um, so this initiative will use uh, different types of novel behavioral and physiological data to more effectively identify when and where people may contract uh, COVID-19 and when uh, to really enable real-time interventions to limit the spread in the population. So ultimately monitoring safety and efficacy signals of therapeutic strategies in the population on the other side of that as well. So we're using de-identified data generated by self-reporting uh, and permission data stream from wearables devices, uh, wearables and, and phones to to track symptoms of COVID-19 in people that are particularly at high risk, especially uh, in including healthcare workers and other first responder groups, um, to try and better understand susceptibility to, to infection. And uh, as we said, a major aim is ultimately to develop an early warning algorithm to help individuals better understand and monitor their own symptoms and then take precautions against the spread. Um, you know, this is building on a lot of the work that we've done over the years in flu that's also been funded both by DARPA and BARDA over the years, um, where, you know, we really have pioneered the use of looking at large-scale wearables data in large populations as a means of identifying patterns of infection, as a means of identifying uh, latency periods as visible in the, in the physiologic signals. Um, 
prior to someone quote unquote knowing that they're sick. That becomes incredibly important because you want to activate vaccination around that person once once you sense that happening. Um, so this is just work that we've been really proud of over the years. It's very motivating for our employees, even when we were you know, quote unquote just doing it for flu. Uh, but when uh, COVID-19 came along, we we really I saw a lot of employees of Evidation just completely jump to action to try and understand how we could quickly use those learnings and those methodologies in the battle against COVID. And, and we're really thrilled that uh, the Gates Foundation and Health and Human Services are working with us on this. Yeah, no, and it seems like, you, you know, you just, it, it, it's purpose, it's almost like a purpose-built situation for Evidation here. Um, you know, it's, and you kind of mentioned at the, at the start that, you know, the, the period that we're in now um, seems, uh, I don't know if inflection point is the right word, but it, it's a moment for digital health. Uh, it's a moment in time for, for evidation. Uh, you know, wh where do you think we go here from here now? Because it seems like, you know, the t you know, I don't want to say the time has come, uh, that might be too definitive, but it, there, it seems like we are in a moment here where people are recognizing the, the, the benefit and the the, the potential of uh, virtual and digital in healthcare. And, you know, certainly, you know, the, the use of telehealth has been a, a great example of that uh, more directly, but mm -hmm. it, it generally seems like there's, it seems like an increasing awareness of it. Uh, your, your thoughts there? Well, I think, you know, if I, if I go way back to Q4 of 2019, which seems like a really long time ago now, um, you know, it was, it was already clear based on our own commercial momentum and those of our, of our peers in, in the room world evidence space, for example, that pharma's receptivity to novel data sources and person-generated health data for the purposes of understanding product benefit, like their receptivity, receptivity sort of the doors got blown off of it in, in 2019. And we, we really saw that in the market. I think what blew the doors of receptivity off in, to everyone and everywhere in every part of our lives um, was COVID-19. Right. And it's not just clear to the market that the ability to conduct decentralized evidence generation is important. It's clear to anyone on the street, I think, that that it's important to do that and that decentralized, virtualized health as and research being a part of that um, is is not an it's not an if anymore. It's and it's not even a when it's it's now they don't need it five years from now. We need it now. The global pandemic battle is, is involving this, as we just talked about, and I, I don't see it going back. Um, I, we, we've really felt strongly that this should be part of the way that 21st century healthcare works. Uh, nobody knew that it was going to be a critical part of the way that 2020 healthcare works in the battle against a pandemic, but that's where we are. And, you know, speaking as a human, I'm thankful. Um, speaking as a patient, I'm ready to participate. And speaking as an employee at Evidation, I couldn't be more motivated. Yeah, no, that, it, it just sounds like, it, it sounds great. And it sounds amazing what you guys are doing here. And, you know, maybe just to wrap, close out, you know, what, what's next for Evidation here? What, what, what should, uh, you know, listeners look out for uh, from you guys and uh, anything, any kind of, you know, milestones we should be looking out for, for, for more news from you guys? Well, I, you know, we're, we're very excited uh, to continue making some announcements in the next uh, couple of months about um, uh, partnerships in this space that are going to allow us to have even bigger impact in the, in the real world evidence space and in our work with pharma. Um, and as I mentioned, look, you're going to, you're going to see us uh, be more than just a U.S. company. You're going to see us have uh, in, impact internationally and, and you'll see that uh, sooner than later. We'll make, we'll look forward to making some announcements 
announcements about that later in the year. Great. We're looking forward. I'm looking forward to it, certainly. Um, so, you know, I, I think we'll wrap it up here. And, uh, you know, Deb, uh, as always, th thanks so much for joining us. I really enjoyed our discussion today. I thought it was really interesting. And a lot of the points you brought up, it, you know, makes, uh, I think, hopefully people who listen, you know, think about how how technology is uh, changing our lives, not in the future, but, but right now. Thanks again for joining us and uh, hope to, to have you on again at some point in the future. Thank you, Charles, and I, I look forward to seeing you and, and shaking your hand when we do that again. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.